This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Cindy Housen, who is the Chief Data Strategy Officer at ThoughtSpot. So, Cindy, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Kyle. You're very, very welcome. So the pleasure is is all ours. So, Cindy, where we always start, because I can never do introductions justice, is we get our guests to uh, give themselves a very brief introduction into their background and their journey to date, if you'd be so kind. Sure. So I now round down and say <laughs> that I've been in the data and analytics space for just more than 20 years and started my journey in this space really for Dow Chemical in Switzerland, where you might be pleased to know I met my husband, a Yorkshireman, Mm -hmm. (laughs) from the north, um, and traveled throughout Europe in those days. So after Dow, we moved back to the States, and I spent some time working for Dow in the U.S., Deloitte and Touche, went back and got my MBA thinking I would leave the data and analytics space, but came back to it with a renewed focus and passion. If you can combine technology with business, then it's so much more golden. Had my own business, the BI scorecard for a number of years, worked at Gartner for four years and joined ThoughtSpot just over two years ago now. Awesome. Right. Very good. So obviously a lot to, a lot to unpack there, I guess. Before we jump into the meat of the topic, which I think um, I'm really intrigued to get into, Cindy, because I know that you and I have been on various LinkedIn threads and such th- and such like, but um, definitely one of the most debated topics in the industry right now. So I'm looking th- forward to, to kind of speaking about that. But I guess before we do, tell us a little bit about ThoughtSpot for anyone that might not be too familiar with what you guys do. Yeah, so ThoughtSpot pioneered search and AI-driven analytics, really the poster child for what Gartner would call the third wave of disruption in the BI and analytics space. Gartner uses the term augmented analytics, but our vision is really, and mission is to create a more fact-driven world, making data approachable for every person not just the data professionals that maybe um, some of our competitors have been optimized to serve. It's also for the non-data analysts, the everyday citizen, using a Google-like search interface. And earlier in May, we released a new product called ThoughtSpot Everywhere that for me, it's been, I can say, it's been a vision for 20 years of really closing the loop from insight to action so that in a way BI is almost behind the scenes in context wherever you want that to be. Right. Good. No. Um, I mean, that's, that's, 
that's fascinating that you guys have, have got to gotten to that that point. So give us a bit of insight into your role and where that sits within the organization. I guess what you're tasked with achieving, is it an internal role? Is it a, a, an outward facing role? Is it a bit of both? It is a little bit of both, but I would say it's much more outward facing. So I don't work on our internal data strategy. So many CDOs are mainly internally focused. I'm really more of a coach for our top customers on how they can execute on their data and analytics vision. What is their strategy? What's standing in their way? Is it people change management? Is it culture? Is it the power and politics between IT and business? So some might call that a coach or a CDO whisperer. The other thing I do is thought leadership, whether it's podcasts like this. I write a lot. I speak a lot. I host my own podcast, The Data Chief. The part where maybe it does get internal is as I'm working with our customers and as where I see the industry needs to go, I work with our product teams on optimizing our product to make sure we are evolving and innovating along with our customers. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, um, that makes perfect sense. So I guess delving into the the topic and, and why we're here, Cindy. So I think from a cultural perspective, obviously research, and I think this came from, from Gartner suggests, you know, circa 85% of data analytics initiatives fail in terms of being able to add, you know, some kind of commercial or business value and culture has, has become the thing that's often cited as the reason why, um, I guess my perception of what I see from my experience is that we're maybe obsessed is too strong a word, but we're we're very fond of the technical um, element of of what we do. You know, the building of the solutions and the products and so on and so forth, um, and are often very strong at that part across the industry in general. But how have we got to this stage, in in your opinion, from that whole kind of failure around the cultural piece? Yeah, so a couple things. First off, I do have to push back on this 85% fail. This was a quote from a press release that was misrepresented. And we like to, it seems, spread fear, fear mongering, so that people can sell you more things. <laughs> and really, this survey, this survey came out, or the stat came out from an assessment that one of the notes that I led at Gartner, the IT score maturity assessment, it was really that they failed to achieve the full benefit. That is very different than saying it's an out and out failure. Now, there is um, research from MIT that says a large portion failed to deliver tangible ROI. But here too, I would push back and say, well, only 14% of organizations actually measure ROI. So I think how we measure success needs to be defined. Have you proved the business value? That is important. Capturing the stories of business benefits, that is important. But to say something's an out-and-out failure, I have to clarify that because that's largely not the case. That might have been the case around Y2K or early on in the data and analytics industry. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm kind of glad you've you've done that. I mean, it's fascinating to me because we we often as an industry bang on around the trouble that we often have in putting a tangible figure on 
what that return on investment is, right? So fascinating for me to hear you say that actually only 14% of organizations are even trying to do that. So no wonder we're struggling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. well, and, and a lot of CDOs will, will say to me, how do I measure success? How do I even know, am I doing the right thing? Or how do I prove my worth to my stakeholders, which could be the CEO or the COO? And I often divide that into the leading indicators and the lagging indicators. The leading indicators might be things like the number of people who can ask their own questions of the data. It might be the types of data assets that you've created or or provisioned. The lagging indicators will be the hard business benefits. Have you increased your sales? Have you improved customer NPS scores. And this is where new research from Accenture has said that the gap has widened between the data and analytics leaders and the laggards that the leaders have two to three times the revenue growth that the data-driven laggards have. So I think dividing it into those things is important. Mm, Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I guess from a a cultural perspective then, what where does that fit in, in in your opinion? Is that something that you do see as one of the biggest kind of barriers to to kind of success or being able to prove that success, if, if that makes sense? Yes, absolutely. And this is something when I host roundtables in the last year, virtually, digitally, or prior to that at the ThoughtSpot would host Thought Leaders events. And we would ask, what are the key barriers? Now, anytime you look at a data point, I think you need to know what is the bias, the bias in that um, data point. So who we would ask this to are chief digital officers, chief data officers, or heads of analytics. And keep in mind, they will have a different perspective than say the data professional who is churning out dashboards or trying to mash data sets together. And in their view from the leaders, it is culture. In fact, 61% say that culture is the biggest barrier to becoming a true data-driven organization. And that number has only increased over the last few years. Another great survey to look at is from Randy Bean and Tom Davenport at New Vantage Partners. And I think what's going on here, Kyle, is that people had hoped that new technology like cloud, like search and AI would would solve the problem. Great technology and bad culture, and you don't accomplish very much. Mm, yeah, no, that makes um, that makes sense. And I guess from a from a cultural perspective, because again, I find myself often involved in these kind of debates and threads on on LinkedIn. I think it's worthwhile kind of identifying what we mean by culture because I think often as with a lot of things in our industry right the, the terminology of how we kind of classify something can mean different things to different people so I guess are you talking here about data leadership figures stating culture from across an organization and a business perspective or is it kind of within their data analytics teams is it a bit of both how does that all kind of fit together No, it's the culture of the whole company, the whole organization, and everyone is responsible for culture and reflective of the culture. So you can talk about leadership leading through change. Do they create a culture 
that is willing to take risks? Do they create a culture that values facts over opinions or who shouts the loudest hmm. or over gut feel decision-making? Do they create a culture that encourages change and innovation for the sake of winning in the market and delivering on uh, customer needs? Now, if you lack that leadership, you can have a grassroots movement that will influence the culture, but the impact may be just within one team or within one business unit. And I like, you know, culture is kind of a squishy concept. <laughs> we say it's the stories, it's the customs. I like these two definitions that I have heard. One is people will say culture is what happens and what people do when nobody's looking. Or Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, who also recently wrote a really good book, um, No Rule, Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention, said culture is what gets you promoted or what gets you fired. <laughs> right. It's really intriguing from my perspective, and I'm, and I'm sure we'll kind of get into this a little bit later, but I guess just to set the scene somewhat... Do do you think as data leadership figures, we probably need to do more in the sense of managing expectations of business leaders and stakeholders in terms of what's required? Because I think from from what I see, obviously, we're very good at saying it's going to take us this long to kind of get to this point. It's going to cost us X amount. We need to go and get these kind of types of technologies and tools. Um, and the the battling that cultural piece almost comes at the end of after everything that we've built and we're kind of wondering why it's not worked. Is there, is there a play in that it needs to be tackled up front early on and then expectations need to be managed in terms of that pain barrier that's going to need to have be, be gone through, if that makes sense? Absolutely, because if data is not being used in alignment with what is the business value or the business outcomes, or even if we're talking in the public sector, the services that you're delivering to citizens, there's no point, there's little value. So this is not where a business leader says, can you build me this? And the data person goes off for a few months and comes back. It, it cannot be reactive. It has to be collaborative because also business requirements can change. So this is where we've seen the rise of business savvy chief data officers. And this is where we've seen the early CBOs may have reported into IT, but increasingly they report to the chief digital officer or the COO or the CEO. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, that, makes, that makes sense. And probably leads us quite nicely into I guess that organization's perception of the CDO, right? And you mentioned there, you know, the, how we've kind of moved along that spectrum in terms of the expectations of that CDO or, or you know, what um, what we expect from these types of, of, of figures. Um, I guess, does, does that impact the success that the CDO has and the culture that they can create in terms of how that organization may be viewing what they're there to do? Yes, absolutely. So I think the early CDOs were really about getting the data house in order. And that was necessary too. I think a lot of siloed systems led to a lot of siloed data marts or multiple data warehouses, let's say. 
And I think, um, and you, it's hard to deliver good analytics and insights without a good data foundation. But the CDOs that stopped there, a beautiful architecture and a mass of data stored safely does not deliver value. You've got to get to the value side of the equation. And so I think this has been an evolution of the role um, and a maturing of the role. Mm, Yeah. One thing that really interests me, Cindy, is that irrespective of who we talk to or the conversations I'm involved in or the podcasts I listen to or the books I read, it's it seems that it's really evident to everybody that obviously we need to start by addressing what the challenges are of the business and effectively working back from from that to make sure that we are actually adding tangible value to the business. Yet this cultural piece still seems to be somewhat of an issue. So how, how do we kind of go about putting steps in place to, to, to change that? How does that whole kind of process play out, if, if that makes sense? Yeah, so this is where I think if you think of an overall data and analytics strategy, that will align to what is the overall goal and mission of an organization. And strategy, time horizons might be two to five years. So when you are trying to show a new way of working and disrupting the culture, then what you want is a lot of quick wins that are always executing towards that ultimate vision and goal. So you might take a particular opportunity. Maybe you're looking at customer experience. Data here is highly fragmented across multiple systems. So maybe you just say, well, let's start with one one silo where the data is good enough, ready enough, and there's pain. And that might be the call center, that wait times are too high, NPS scores are low, And you'll say, all right, let's look at how can we be data-driven? What does the data tell us? Now, this is where why some organizations don't do ROI, because you'll say, well, we have high employee turnover in the call center. So we need to look at job satisfaction of these employees. We need to empower them to act on these technology-driven insights. And we're going to do some better training. We're going to bring analytics to bear. We're going to look at, we're going to use voice data to say, are we hearing people aggressive on the phone or are they empathetic? And so you're applying the change behavior with data information and you're measuring the improvement on just one thing, NPS scores. NPS scores actually can tie to a monetary value. So there then you have your first quick win You capture those stories, you have the head of the call center or the head of customer experience now saying, look where we were before and look where we are after, and they become your champion, you rinse and repeat. Does that make sense, Kyle? Makes absolute sense. And I guess from a leadership perspective and the the leaders of the business, it's evident why why you'd go through that process and it's evident why they want to do that right because at some point whether we talk about ROI and putting tangible numbers on it the trickle down effect is probably always going to be that right somewhere back towards the the bottom line how about the users in that equation how about the people that are working in the call center that are kind of like well so what how do we get to them because ultimately 
they're the people involved day to day, right? So they're the people we probably really need on side more so than anyone else, really. Yes, absolutely. So, so what? I love that phrase. So what? (laughs) And that's something that every data professional and leader needs to be able to answer. I also use this term with them. What is in it for me? So what is in it for that call center operator or that manager? And that's where this culture comes into play. Because if I am the call center manager and there's multiple call centers, let's say throughout Europe, and I'm looking at, wow, in England, our employee churn and our NPS scores are the worst. And maybe I'm looking in um, Belgium, they are so much better. Or Italy, they are so much better. People are chatting, they're friendlier. And if I use that data to punish or worth, if I manipulate the data to make it look good so that manager does not get in trouble, we call these vanity metrics, this is a culture of fear and a culture of hiding the truth. So I think um, the so what has to be both in some call centers, it might be commission-based, it might be performance-based, that your variable pay is based on uh, the, the satisfaction of the calls, calls completed, or um, promotions. It also could be the the joy of your job. Nobody likes getting shouted at on the phone all day long. So it really is also giving back joy to the job as well. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. So we're talking there about incentivizing people in some way, shape or form effectively. Okay. Yes. And the incentives don't always have to be like a cash or monetary bonus. It can be, what is the intrinsic motivation? It can be, what are the rewards, the badging, the performance ratings, um, the team, you know, peer benchmarking is a great motivator. How did one team perform versus the other? Um, brings out people's competitive nature. Yeah, yeah. And I guess just thinking out loud here, Cindy, a little bit, um, which is always dangerous, but um, <laughs> what for, in terms of trying to manage expectations of business leaders, when we're kind of taking them on this journey and we're trying to tackle that this cultural piece needs to kind of happen in tandem with everything else that's going on in terms of us, you know, what we're building to allow us to be data-driven and, and all of that type of, of stuff, is there a play here where the data, where the the kind of business leaders are thinking, well, okay, so we're trying to go on this journey. We need to do this. We need to get everyone on side and it's, and we're going to have to pay them to, to, to do it. You know, is, is there, does, does that play a, a part in all of this in terms of their, I guess their appetite towards what they're trying to factor into what this costs and all of that type of stuff? I think it can Kyle, but I would also say the, the people that are resistant to becoming data-driven are few and far between now. In fact, I think it's um, something like 85% of boards now are saying we want to see a plan from the company on how to ensure organizations are data-driven. Part of it is the accelerated digital transformation that the pandemic forced on everyone. Many had started to digitize, but they were really like 10-year plans. And people will say, we accomplished in one year what we had planned to do in 10 years. Now, if somebody's in a non-competitive industry, (laughs) unlimited budget, cost is not an issue, maybe they can 
afford to be a little bit lazy and there's no incentive to improve here. But I think most are excited about the possibilities. They just may not know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. And I guess you, you touched upon earlier about, you know, the, the pathway that we're on in the CDO and the version of CDO that we're now on in an ideal world, what does that perfect environment look like for the CDO to kind of drive and create that that culture? Yeah, so in a perfect world, that CDO is reporting to either the CEO or the COO who, who looks at data as a way to drive business performance and compete in the marketplace. They have a collaborative team and a federated organizational model that combines both business and technology together. Um, There's no us versus them mentality between IT, data, and business. Uh, They're really a collaborator, a communicator, and a connector. And they're looking at all these things. um, I call it the six pillars of both the data and analytics strategy but also of a a data and analytically driven organization. And that is aligning to the outcomes of the the mission of the organization. So the business value, they have the culture, they have the people and talent, the processes, they're willing to go back and break down and modernize. They have their data house in order. And it's not just internal data. They're also looking at external data Um, They are modernizing the technology using newer technologies like uh, cloud, I think is also um, increasingly important. And I think those are the six. I think I said six. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Yeah. Good. Really keen to get your thoughts on this. And again, I'm thinking out loud. So apologies for Vanna veering away from the, 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 the thought process, but Obviously, there's a lot of debate in the industry around the CDO role and where it sits and who it should report to. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that in the US, you guys are probably further along that journey than we are here in in Europe. Um, what what do you make of that in terms of you know? Because what I hear it all the time is is the CDO role really a CDO role if it's not reporting to the CEO and you know it reports into tech or finance or marketing or whatever the case may be what, what what's your you know when you're sat speaking with clients and advising on this stuff what's what's your take on that on the one hand i think who cares as long as you are empowered to execute on this mandate so to a certain extent i don't think it really matters um where somebody initially sits within an organization as long as they are not held back and that politics and org charts and hierarchies don't stand in their way. I think that people are concerned about this, though, shows what a what a tough role it is because the mandate does impact the whole organization and it cuts across all the functional areas and across all the levels. I mean, for a CDO to tell a CEO, your data's wrong or you're not data literate, that's a tough conversation. (laughs) Or to say, hey, you really should be running your board meetings, looking at this data real time. That's a tough conversation. So I think um, where somebody starts 
um, is, is one way of looking at it. Ultimately, when you deliver the true impact, then I think that's when you've earned your seat at, at the table. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that makes sense. Um, you started to creep in earlier around your six pillars around the relationship with technology to, to all of this piece. I guess, what's the interaction between technology and culture that's critical for, for CDOs to get right? Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of the data and analytics adoption by default has been limited historically because of high cost, high technical debt, and it really remained in the hands of just the experts. Even governance, we could say governance was baked into the technology because only experts could use it. Now, as we look at low-code platforms, whether it's in analytics or in data science or even in embedding and creating data products, it's all via low-code. So we don't need the same level of skills to be able to create impactful data products. And so the right technology can enable a more data-driven culture with greater transparency and greater innovation. And so I often say that culture and technology are two sides of the same coin. Show me an organization with legacy technology. So let's say version one reporting on-premises, siloed, and I will probably show it's a culture of fear, risk aversion, (laughs) um, and complacency. Show me um, an organization that is innovative, willing to take risks, values data, is not afraid to confront negative numbers, and I'm going to bet that they're um, in the cloud, we're early to cloud, they were early to ThoughtSpot. They were early, I could look across the whole modern data and analytics portfolio and say, you know, they were either using Redshift or Snowflake, they were using Databricks or Data Robot um, or Azure ML, but they were early to the these things. So I think they're two sides of the same coin. That's interesting. So I guess you're starting to creep there into kind of the mindset of a business and all the, the leaders within that business in terms of their their appetite to kind of try and tackle this stuff early, I guess. And um, that whole correlation between the mindset of those business leaders and how that culture plays out within the organization. That's really interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, the CDO can't do all of this themselves, Cindy, as I'm sure you're very, very well aware. Um We've talked about the technological piece and really what's required for you to drive that culture in the right direction. What about the what about the people piece? What type of people do you need in in your team to you know drive that culture across the organization? Well, people are a reflection of the culture and people make up the culture. So the type of people that you retain, recruit, and reward, as we said earlier, will define the culture. So I look for teams that are diverse by all forms of diversity, gender, um, academic training, functional areas across the organization, because you need that also for others to tell you what your blind spots are 
Um, and you need, you don't want all risk takers. You want some people that will tell you, well, here, here's what might go wrong. So let's plan for this risk. So you need um, both, both types. The one thing I will say that is important is for any organization, the extent that they value reskilling and constant learning when the pace of change is frenetic and it's not slowing down. And there was a really good study done by Vodafone actually in Europe, over 1800 organizations responded and they divided the responses into what they classified as a future ready business versus all other businesses. And future ready businesses, 60% of them have formal plans for upskilling and reskilling. So that might be learning these cloud technologies. It might be learning newer skills like data storytelling and having formal data fluency programs versus others will have a learning program in place. 50% have a learning program in place, but they're not proactively um, working on that upskilling and reskilling. Mm, yeah. I suppose there's a correlation there back towards that mindset again, though, isn't there? which is yes. interesting and what I'm kind of taking away from this conversation. Um, so the change management piece, Cindy, is something that I want to kind of delve into because I think, I, again, I often get involved in conversations. I've had people on this podcast and we've talked about the data leader, that whole debate around how hands-on should they be or how technical should they be. And I guess that's probably uh, evolved as we've gone through the versions of that CDO to a certain extent, right? And now we're talking around that being that agent of change and all of that type of, of thing. Um, why is that pe uh, people change management something that is so important for CDOs to focus on? And, and how do you go about doing that successfully? Well, people are naturally resistant to change. We like habits <laughs> and conformity. And in fact, a uh, a survey that ThoughtSpot and Harvard Business Review partnered together on found that 44% of organizations said that lack of people change management is why they were not able to execute on empowering frontline decision makers with data. So I think um, that shows how important it is. And it means looking at the upskilling, but it also means breaking old legacy processes it's putting in place a communication plan and the rewards, whether, again, it's the reinforcement from teams, badging, or financial incentives, we, we can debate that. But it's addressing all of those things. Mm, yeah, yeah. And that, that makes sense. And, that, and that's really interesting because I think when you just think about it really logically, fundamentally, that's really what we're talking around, right? You know, we're trying to get users of that data on the front line in the business to change the way they've done things and buy into that process as they go, um, yes. which is which is interesting, I guess. In terms of the CDO then, and again, I know we touched upon the position and where they re the reporting lines and all of that type of stuff within a business, but... Talk to us about the type of relationship that it's important for the CDO to have with the rest of the C-suite in order for them to really drive that, that kind of culture across the organization. Yeah, so the CDO should be viewed as a partner and collaborator, but is the service mindset matters. 
So hmm. it's really how can the CDO support the objectives of each of the other C-suite uh, leaders? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess putting you on the spot a bit here, but do, do you see that happen enough within the industry? In, in the best run organizations that truly are data driven? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very, very well answered. <laughs> um, okay. So we are where we are now. What does the, what does the future of data and analytics look like if we don't address this kind of cultural piece sooner rather than later because that seems for all intents and purposes that seems to be the thing that's either going to make or break us in terms of us being more successful than we already are or to maybe turn that you know perception of failure on its head so to speak yeah well i think this is where it's increasingly a winner take all um situation where those with the right culture who truly are digital and data-driven will do better in their respective industries and markets. So that gap will continue to widen. And I think the the laggards will not survive unless they're in an unusual industry where um, there is no competition. So, and, and even again, I can say in nonprofits, it will be, or government, it will be about funding and not spending that funding wisely to maximize services. So for, for me, I think the future is super bright. I mean, some people are afraid of AI that it will eliminate jobs. And to me, this is more, it will eliminate some jobs, but it will create new ones, more exciting ones. And I look at the net benefits that AI, which we need data to leverage AI, improving healthcare, improving education. So this is where ThoughtSpot's vision and mission is to create a fact-driven world. And I often say a fact-driven world actually is a better, more equitable world. So I think the future is quite bright. Yep, yep. And I'd, I'd completely agree. If we strip all this back then, Cindy, if there's people out there listening to this that are just about to embark upon this journey or they're, you know, bumping into some of those cultural challenges, just give us your kind of top three kind of tips or things that these people need to be thinking about in terms of, you know, driving that business forward culturally. Yeah. So think about um, culture, how the leaders define it, but how culture change can also be grassroots. Think about what is rewarded and what is punished and how how it's the people process these customs that make up the culture. And then don't just take my advice, listen <laughs> to great podcasts like Data Driven um, if, if on Kyle's or the Data Chief, discuss these things with me on LinkedIn. And you know, you'll have setbacks, you might feel demotivated on particular days if you get knocked down, just get back up the next day, shadow with some positive people that are forward thinking and you'll get there. Absolutely. Talk us through your podcast, Cindy, before we, before we let you go, what, what was the kind of intention behind that? And I guess what's the, um, you know, what, what's the, what's the purpose of it? What, how the format, how does it work? All of that type of good stuff. 
Yeah. Well, it's 2020 seemed to be that everyone and their grandmother released a podcast. <laughs> um, and I'm more of a book reader than a podcast listener myself, although I'm learning to do this now when I do the laundry and what have you. But um, we actually had started on this podcast. We recorded the first episode December 2019. And the vision was really to bring some of the brightest CDOs, and I say data chief because the title doesn't matter. Um, it could be an analytics leader in a functional area. It could be a CIO. The title doesn't matter, but we call them data chiefs from around the world, different industries, sharing what works for them, sharing what doesn't work. And it's both their best practices, but their personal journeys across really some wonderful careers. And I just feel so privileged to be able to talk to these people and that they so willingly share their insights. It's really been, I think, a gift, especially, you know, when we haven't been able to connect with people in person in the last year. Yeah. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. I guess the purpose of this podcast is is very similar. So look, we we thank you very much for coming on being so open and and honest um your passion for the industry and enthusiasm is so evident so thank you very much i guess if people want to reach out to you cindy what's the best way for them to to find you connect with me on linkedin and i i don't know how to change my twitter handle and not lose all my <laughs> followers so it's still bi scorecard and and connect with me there and otherwise i look forward to when i get to Visit my customers, colleagues, and relatives, my in-laws in the UK, driving down the M1, <laughs> um, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Cindy, look, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Great. Thank you, right. Kyle. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Yeah.